Hello from the other side. Come on. That is so good. Man, uh, I'm so excited you guys are here. My name is Tom, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we're fired up to start a new sermon series, like Mo mentioned as he was praying. We're uh, four weeks away from Easter, and this is kind of our pump-up sermon series, getting our hearts ready, get excited about Easter and what God is going to do um, through you guys and through uh, this local church and the other churches in this area, too. We're just so excited about it. Um, man, before we jump into the sermon series, though, uh, last week we finished up a sermon series focused on marriage, and we pumped up a big event called Date Night Out, and so we offered free child care for any married couples that wanted to go out. Anybody take advantage of that? A few of you, excellent, and uh, it was awesome, and Ben was there, and he leads our, uh, our baby pursuit, and I said, dude, mark it, nine months from now, we're going to see an explosion in the nursery, so come on, we're going to grow this church one way or another, but no, in all seriousness, man, we, we believe in marriage, marriage is a big deal to us, and um, uh, we have also some other things coming up. So starting on March 14th, that's a Monday night for five weeks. It's a five-week community group. It's going to be a, 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 it's called My Marriage Matter. It's going to be a group that's focused in on just building marriages within the church. And whether you're in crisis or whether you've been married for a while and you just want to just kind of grow together, it'd be a great chance for married couples to plug into. So um, you can sign up online or stop by the Next Step booth after service. Uh, ask them about the community group. They'll give you a lot more information about it. But man, it was so good. Shannon and I had such a fun time at date night last night. And um, so what we're doing is we're starting a brand new sermon series called Hello from the Other Side. And you guys know Adele sings a song called Hello. Anybody like Adele, that song? Hello. Yeah, you can raise your hand. So good. And um, I love the Saturday Night Live skit. Have you guys seen that one? Where um, it's a family together for Thanksgiving. And at first they're very cordial. And they sit down to eat and they start to get into all the hot hot button topics like politics and social issues and they start to get real mean and angry and then this, this girl, she'll, she'll turn on the song Hello by Adele and they instantly stop and just start singing together and it's so good. It's one of those songs, it doesn't matter what you believe, whether you're politically one way or the other, that song like unites us just because she's got such good vocals and the song just so catchy but um, man, I heard that song just like many of you have heard it many times in the line Hello from the Other Side. I was instantly going, that'd be an incredible sermon series. That's how pastor's mind works. You know, all interactions with people become sermon illustrations and all sorts of cool things like that become sermon series titles. And so we heard that and just go, man, that would be so amazing. Hello from the other side. The song is called Hello, but there's that line there that says, hello from the other side. And uh, that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks is kind of take that concept and we're going to look at stories in scripture of people going from one side to the other, whether that's physical boundaries that they've, that they've broken through, whether it's spiritual boundaries they've broken through, but following God is all about movement from one to another. God moves us. We're here now, but God grows us and moves us in one direction. But the, the, the song was so successful. When it uh, was released, it actually released as the number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It didn't start at like 10 and work its way up to number one. It started at number one. And then um, on Vivo, 
when the video was released, it broke a record for the most uh, music video viewed in a 24-hour span. 27.7 million views in 24 hours for that Hello, um, that song there. It went on to break a couple other records. It was the fastest ever on Vivo to reach 100 million views and the fastest ever on YouTube to reach a billion views. A billion times that music video has been watched. And, um, and I was reading a little bit about kind of her heart behind the story um, of the song. And she said that line, hello from the other side, is her kind of growing from being a teenager and all the stuff that she went through, the boyfriends, the breakups, all that stuff. And then from the other side is when she got into adulthood and could look back and that kind of like, I was here, but now I'm here. And then her music video is um, an older vo- version of a young girl who goes through a breakup and she's talking to the younger version from the other side of it, given wisdom. And um, what I love about it, it's about maturity, it's about process, it's about growing. And I think scripturally, that's one of the most important things we see is that God wants to grow us. And I put in here, this is my first, one of my first notes here, is that growing people change. Growing people change. And this is kind of the premise of our sermon series. And I love this, is Scripture uses all sorts of metaphors to describe what our process of growth in Him is. So one of them is this, is, which we're going to talk about on Easter. Hello, death, right? Death. On the other side of death in Christ, we got life. Or in, in Scripture, we see other ones where it's darkness, and then we move over into light on the other side. We, at some point, we're an orphan. We're alienated from God. Then Jesus reconciles us and becomes sons and daughters of the king, the other side. And I love that. That's what our faith looks like. It's a constant movement of where we are to where God is taking us because growing people change. And if you've found life in Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you radically encountered God and you were this one person, but all of a sudden after Jesus on the other side of salvation, you became a completely different person. And that's the premise of where we're going is that movement from one thing to another, that God wants to move us from whatever we're stuck in now to the other side of it where we have victory in Jesus Christ. And so um, every week for the next three weeks leading up to, or a few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to take a different story from Scripture that's got kind of an other side story to it. And uh, we're going to culminate the sermon series on Easter, which is the resurrection, which is death on one side, and then hello from the other side, the risen Savior. How awesome is that going to be? And so um, that's kind of where we're going. And today at the end of the message, I'm going to give a real challenge to get us to go all in. I got my all-in t-shirt today for us to go all in as we prepare our hearts and look towards what God wants to do at that special Sunday in the church called Easter. But before we do that, we're going to look at our first other side story today, and it's a man named Paul or Saul, as he was known, and then he became Paul on the other side. Now, if you grew up in the church, you know quite a bit about Paul. You know that Paul wrote much of the New Testament. He was a church planner. He did all sorts of things. But what you may have not realized is that Paul was actually a guy named Saul for a while who was as far from that side, that life, at one point. It's an incredible conversion transformation story. And so um, we're going to be taking a look at Saul to Paul today. Now, um, just a little bit of background information, because we're going to start at the very end of Acts chapter 7. If you have your scriptures with you, your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 7, and we're going to start at the end of Acts chapter 7. But some backstory. 
So the book of Acts was written after Jesus had died on the cross and he was resurrected from the dead and then he gave his handful of disciples, his followers, a command. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And he gave them this missional calling and he started this movement called the church that you and I are now a part of today. How cool is that? But he called his people to become a movement that grew into his church. Now, there was this incredible sermon early on, right after, um, uh, about 40 days after the resurrection. It's a day called the Pentecost, where a few of Jesus' disciples gathered, and Peter, who was, the, who was the main spokesperson, preached this sermon, and on that day, the Holy Spirit came down, and over 3,000 people came to know Christ in response to that message, and were baptized that day. So there was this movement from this handful, or this small group of believers that exploded by thousands in one day and became all of a sudden a little bit of a force to be reckoned with. So all of a sudden this, this, this band of people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah grew to several thousand and it caught religious people's attention and it caught political people's attention and they didn't like that people were moving their allegiance from whatever they had before to a new guy named Jesus. And so all of a sudden the church, people who said yes to Jesus, started to experience this thing called persecution. Where they would, they would, they would, um, you would be ostracized for your faith in Christ. Where you'd be put in prison if you said that, yes, I believe in Jesus. Where you'd get physically harmed for your faith. And that's kind of the, where this story picks up. Very early on in the Christian story, the church, story of the church, we get a sense that there's, that there's some serious opposition from the world to what Jesus wants to do. And so in Acts chapter 7, 6 and 7, there's a story of this guy named Stephen, and he's a young leader in the church. And uh, it says that he was a man of grace, and he was able to, uh, of authority, and he was able to do these signs and wonders. And so the religious people decided that they wanted to use Stephen, this young leader, to make an example out of him to try to stop the movement called the Way back then. It was called the Way from expanding. So they found this guy, and they put him on trial. And then for Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen gives this incredible sermon, and I'm not going to read the whole thing or read it today, but you can read it in your, on your own. I, I totally recommend it, Acts chapter 6 and 7. But he finishes this incredible story before the religious leaders, and that story was like the nail in the coffin. It was like the, the fulfillment of a death sentence. They did not like what he had to say to him. They didn't like that he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, and so they had determined they were going to kill this young man so they would stop Christianity from spreading. Now I tell all this because as we jump into the first murder of a Christian, we see the guy named Saul. Saul on one side before he comes to know Jesus. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 7, verse 57 through 58. So Stephen just gets done preaching this sermon, and they say it says this, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice. They couldn't stand what he was preaching. They were so mad that Stephen would talk about Jesus. It says they yelled at the top of their voices and they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, and this is where Saul comes on the scene, it says the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul enters the scene at the very first murder of a Christian. 
Now, it wasn't one of those things where, like, Saul was out shopping at Walmart on Black Friday, and a fight broke out, and he just happened to be there and get his camera out in time to to get the, the picture of it. He wasn't just like a bystander who was there by happenstance. He was there intentionally because he wanted to see Stephen die because he had a faith in Jesus. And so it says he sat there while the witnesses put their coats in front of him, and it was basically a way of saying that he was sitting there approving what was going on. And in fact, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the next verse, it said this, Saul approved of their killing of him. They approved, he approved of the killing of, of Stephen. Saul was in full support of the death of anybody who said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul believed that that was the fate of anybody who said that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And because of that, he became one of the chief movers of trying to eradicate Christianity from the world. So who was Saul? A little bit about Saul, just so you guys can have some information on him. Scriptures tell us that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he was Jew, he was a Jew by birth, and he followed Jewish customs. He, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that means he was a descendant of Abraham. So like, if, if you were looking for someone to fit into the Jewish community, this would have been the guy who just because of his birth, because of all those kind of things. Another thing we know about Saul is that Saul trained under the rabbi Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is one of the most noted rabbis in history, not just in the Bible, but in history. So he got to sit and learn under one of the most you know, noted rabbis in Jewish history. And so he was very zealous about his Jewish faith. He was also highly educated, not just in the religious scene, but he had education beyond that. He would have been a brilliant mind of his time, Harvard educated, just a brilliant, smart guy. And the scriptures also tell us that he was a Pharisee. Now, you guys have heard of Pharisees before. We've talked about stories where Jesus interacts with Pharisees. And Pharisees were a um, conservative religious sect of Judaism. And what they were passionate about was strictly obeying the laws of God. He said, I'm a Pharisee. That means I spent much of my life observing to the best of my ability the the laws of Moses, following the laws of God. And he was so zealous for his faith, like I said, he became one of the chief eradicators of Christianity. He was an enemy to the cross. Now, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and 3 goes on. It says this, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they ran for their life. They pretty much ran for their life, those, those early followers of Christ. And it says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul, on this side of Christ, His sole mission and purpose in life was to destroy Christianity, was to eradicate anybody from following the way. It says he went from house to house, grabbing men and women and just putting them in prison. The guy didn't just despise the church, right? He didn't just go, man, you know what? That church, that new movement called The Way, they're pretty crazy. He like was like, they're so crazy and I hate them so much that I'm going to spend the, my life trying to get rid of those people. Like he acted on his beliefs with crazy zealousy. And so, but amidst all this, the, in his complete opposition to Christ, God saw something in Paul or Saul at the time. Maybe it was his intelligence. 
Maybe it was how seriously he took his faith, even though it was kind of the wrong way with it. Maybe it was his incredible leadership ability. Maybe it was all of that. Maybe it was something else. We don't fully know exactly, but we knew that God saw something greater in Saul. And so we have this incredible story coming up in Scripture where God gets a hold of Saul and takes him to the other side of life in Christ. Now this is one of my points that I want to make today as we look at the story of Saul becoming Paul is this. God sees the potential in all of you. God sees the potential in you. Your present brokenness does not define you in God's eyes. You see, as Paul sits right here and now in this story, he's a murderer. He's literally living his life in opposition to the cross of Christ. He's an enemy of the cross. You can't get further away from follower of Jesus than a person trying to kill followers of Jesus. But God saw something in Paul that he said, if I can just get a hold of this man's life, if I can just transform him, he can do great things for my kingdom. Maybe today, you're coming in here today and you feel like you're struggling with something. You have an addiction or you're wrestling with some major doubts about who Jesus is, and you're going, man, I, I, just, I, I just can't come to grips with faith in him. And maybe you feel like an utter failure for something. You have guilt and shame for maybe just not being able to live up to the standard that people around you have posed upon you, and you kind of feel like you're on this side of a relationship with Jesus. But what I love about this is God doesn't see you solely at, in your broken state, but he sees the potential in you of what he could do in and through you if you would give your life to him. I put this, God sees your potential, and if you would let him, he wants to take you on a journey to the other side of his grace. God wants to take you from failure to success. You know, God wants to take you from addiction to sobriety. God wants to take you in your wrath and standing in wrath and judgment before God, and he wants to extend grace and mercy and offer you salvation. He wants to move you from whatever you're in right now, whatever you're stuck in by the power of the risen Lord. He wants to move you to the other side. I love that. That's a story of hope. That's the gospel. It's a story of hope. One of the things we say here, and it's a core value, actually got the core value bracelet on today, is this, bring the mess, Jesus can handle it. Because we believe that when people can come in, in their brokenness, just come in here authentic and lay it before God, no matter what you're dealing with, if you will surrender it to him, he can do a work in your life and not leave you stuck in it, but move you to the other side of it. One of the things that we say in follow-up to this core value, because it's not an excuse for us to come in and just keep struggling and struggling and struggling and just go, you know what, I'm, I'm not even going to try, is this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We believe growing people change. It's not dependent upon our salvation. We don't do it so God will love us. We just believe that God loves us too much to leave us stuck in whatever it is we're stuck in, and he wants to move us out of it because that's part of our growing in our relationship with him. So just because you're in a tough spot right now, God wants to do something in your life. He wants to move you to the other side. Now, I love this. Is we're going to jump now to the story, which is Acts chapter 9, and it's the interruption story. It's the story where God just like reigns on Paul's parade and begins the process of transforming him into a new creation in him. And I love this. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9, and it goes like this. Start with 1 and 2. It says, Meanwhile, 
Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, still doing what Saul was doing. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them to prison as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he went and got it legal for him to go to, the, to Damascus and to pull people out who called themselves followers of the way and put them in prison. And so check out what happens after that, though. This is when it gets really good. This is where the transformation starts to take place. Verse 3. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Paul is going to Damascus to destroy the Christian faith. And all of a sudden, God shows up and interrupts his life in a very crazy, inconvenient, crazy sort of a way. A light from heaven shines down that is so bright, and God's voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what I love about this is this is how it happened to, to Saul, but the crazy thing is God does that to us. There are many times in our life where he's trying to get a hold of our attention. He's trying to bust into whatever our plans are, whatever things we're doing, and get our attention. And sometimes he does it in ways that are uncomfortable, like shining a light into our life. Because what's interesting about him shining a light onto Paul was all of a sudden light eradicates, pushes back darkness, it exposes the darkness. So all the, the thoughts, all the, the things, all the hatred, all the wrath inside of Paul's heart were immediately exposed in the light of Jesus Christ. And when we come into the light, sometimes it's difficult to want to step into the light. I know people who like the idea of Jesus, they just don't like stepping into the light because when you step into the light, that means all the things that are inside... All the dark places, whether it's shame, whether it's things that need to be healed, whether it's sin, whether it's, you know, what people have said to you, the disappointment you've experienced that you've kind of hidden away that you don't want anyone to touch. When Jesus comes into our life, he shines light on that, not to go, look at you, you're a worthless sinner, but to bring healing to it. That's what the presence of God, the light of God does. It gets into our darkness and we allow him, he can heal that brokenness inside of us. See, here's one of my other points here in this process, is this, whenever God interrupts your plans, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it's not fun, just know he's got better plans coming, amen? I love that. Whenever God interrupts your plans, just know that he's got better ones coming, and sometimes it's hard to see that when things don't work out the way we want them to, you know what I mean? You ever look back on something in your life? It was a major disappointment. Maybe it was something you'd been praying for for a long time. Maybe it was a job that you always wanted. Maybe it was a place you wanted to move to and you didn't get it. In the moment, just your heart sank. You were so disappointed. You were crushed. But then with some perspective on the other side of that disappointment, a few years later, you're looking back on it and you're going, oh my gosh, I was just devastated in that moment, but I'm so glad that didn't happen because God is so much bigger than what I want to do and where he ultimately took me and brought me through was so much better than what I could have ever asked or imagined. I think that sometimes in the moment when God is pointing out sin, when God, is, when God is saying no to certain prayers we're answering, or God is doing a work that we don't understand, we get easy to get frustrated at him and get mad, but just wait until you get to the other side, and you can look back at it and go, okay, I see how God's working. I see what God's doing. It reminds me of that Garth Brooks song, you know what I'm talking about? I thank God for unanswered prayers. 
he was praying for that girl that he wanted to end up with, and he didn't, God didn't answer it, and so he's looking back on it, he's going, man, I just thank God for unanswered prayer. I don't want to sing it, it would ruin your life, but, um, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about here. We can't always see where God is taking us, but we can trust this truth that wherever, whenever God interrupts our plans, his plans are always better. There's always better ones coming. Now, verse 5 through 9 the conversation, the story goes on. It says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. I love that. Jesus just comes right in his face. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Jesus just straight up confronts Saul. And in that, he actually makes Saul blind. When Saul gets up off the ground, he tries to open his eyes and he just can't see anything. God makes him blind in that moment to the point where his buddies actually have to lead him by hand to Damascus. And I think what is, what is interesting about this is sometimes in our journey to the other side, we don't always know or understand how it's going. Sometimes we feel like we're blind and we don't know how we're going to get to the other side. Case in point, when we talk to marriages who are struggling, they go, I know I'm struggling in my marriage and I know I want to have a healthy marriage, but I don't know what next step to take. I just feel like I'm in darkness. I just feel like I'm blind. I don't know what my next step is. Or people who struggle with certain addictions, they go, I know I have addiction, and I know I want to get to the other side, but I just feel so blind because I don't know what to do. I've tried everything, and here I am. I don't even know what my next step is. And so sometimes as we make this decision or we respond to God's prompting to move from whatever it is to where he's taking us, we just go, I don't know exactly how to do this because I feel like I'm blind. But I love this is, 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 is basically... God sends his buddies, and they lead him by hand, and God, God says, you don't know, this is crazy, this is blind, but just, just take it one step to just go where I'm leading, follow the Holy Spirit in this one moment, just go. And so his buddies lead him to Damascus, and this is one, thing, one of the points I put here about other side stories is even when you can't see God at work, God is always at work. Sometimes in our lives when we're sitting in spiritual blindness of sorts and we don't really see how God is doing anything in us, and we're wondering, where are you? Just know that even when we can't see God at work, God is always at work. We can trust that, that God is always doing something. So while Paul is waiting in Damascus in blindness, trying to figure out, okay, God, what's my next step? You interrupted me. You showed me that you are real. Now I want to do something in response to it. He's waiting there. And while he's waiting there, Paul can't see it. But he knows that God is speaking to another man in town named Ananias, and Ananias was a Christian. And so God goes to Ananias and tells Ananias, I want you to go to Paul, or Saul, and I want you to lay hands and pray on him. And Ananias is like, do you know who Paul is? Like, this guy wants to kill me. That's why he's coming to Damascus. Like, you are crazy. I wouldn't dare go talk to this murderer, this, this, this enemy of me. But ultimately, God's will Gets, you know, God's will prevails, and so Ananias agrees to go, and then the story picks up in verse 17. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again 
And there's so much into that. That's so deep right there. That you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias goes to Saul, prays over him so he could receive his sight, and the Holy Spirit would fill him. And I love it. It says that scales fell from Saul's eyes. Now, when I meet someone, and I I remember when I experienced, when I encountered Jesus' grace and love in my life, after letting him enter my life and rule and reign, it was like scales fell from my eyes by the way I saw the world around me. I didn't have physical scales fall off, but I had like spiritual scales fall off. Same exact physical matter around me. The buildings were the same. The people were the same. But all of a sudden, in Jesus, I saw the world differently because he did a work in my life. He changes the way we see the world around us. Now, Saul, before the scales fell off, we know that he viewed the the world through hatred. We know he viewed the world through wrath. We know he viewed the world through judgment We know that he viewed the world through legalism, that he believed that you had to be the strictest, you know, obey the law to the strictest ability in order for God to love you. But all of a sudden, when Jesus does a work in his life, he sees the world differently. He went from wrath to grace. He went from hatred to love. He went to legalism to basically faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone is what he ended up spending the rest of his years preaching When God shows up and does a work in our life, we see the world differently. And then it says this, and this is just a side note, but it says that he got up and was baptized. Now, I'm bringing it up here because in um, two weeks or a week from Sunday, we're going to have a baptism class, and one of our favorite things to do on Easter is is to baptize those who have been radically changed by Jesus because we see in Scripture over and over again, anytime someone's lives has been transformed by Jesus, one of their next steps is to get baptized, to profess, you know, back to the world that this is what God did in my life. I went from death and then I was raised to life. And so I want to encourage you, if you have never been baptized, but Jesus has radically changed you, if the scales have fallen off your eyes, to maybe sign up today and at the Next Step booth or sign up online to get baptized. And it's going to be such a beautiful day on Easter when we, when we celebrate the resurrected Jesus. We're also going to celebrate your resurrected life in Christ. It'll be a really cool day. So if you haven't been baptized, take that next step. And this is the cool t-shirt you get, by the way. It's my favorite pursuit t-shirt we have. We have like a whole clothing line. It's crazy, but this is um, my favorite of all the t-shirts because of what it symbolizes in someone's life, that they're all in for Jesus Christ. And what's crazy about this is Saul's transformation, so his scales fell off, he could see the world differently, he got up and was baptized, and he ate some food and regained his strength, but all of a sudden his, his transformation was so radical that people were like still afraid, they didn't believe it, like like, uh-uh, is this a hoax? Like, is he trying to, like, trick us and, like, infiltrate us like an undercover cop and then, like, get inside and then destroy us? And they were skeptical. And, uh, and maybe you've met someone who's encountered Jesus and you're going, no way did that person get their life changed by Jesus because it was so crazy. Like, they were so opposite living their life in such rebellion to God, but all of a sudden God does a work and you're going, I just can't even fathom that. That is, that is too crazy. Well, that's kind of what happened in Saul's life. And so the story goes on. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, and I love that. 
As soon as you have experienced Jesus as Messiah, you cannot help but preach and share the gospel with others. That's a natural response. That's a natural response. As God changes your life, you go and tell others. He just immediately, because his change was so significant, began to share the gospel. And it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Like, this guy, that's crazy. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And verse 22 says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, Saul, who came to Paul, ended up spending the rest of his life in response to what Jesus did in that moment. He went from murderer to missionary. I love that. That's what his transformation was. He went from murderers of followers of Christ, an enemy of the cross, to the missionary that he became. He planted churches. He wrote most of the New Testament, the majority of it. He spent the rest of his life living in response to how God moved him from this side to that side. And I think it's the calling of all of us If you go to doubter to disciple, you spend the rest of your life helping make disciples. If you go from murder to missionary, you spend the rest of your life telling people about the incredible love and grace that you found in Jesus Christ. And what's so cool, you guys, is, is in this story here, is we get to see this conversion, but then if you read much of the New Testament, you get to see his kind of memoirs from the other side talking about what life looks like on the other side of Jesus. He said, if anybody's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And he wrote such incredible, profound, beautiful truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to share this with you guys. It comes from Philippians chapter 3. And this is Paul talking about his life on the other side of Jesus. And I want it to be an encouragement. Because sometimes I think, too, is we, we expect that once you experience Jesus, that all of a sudden you come over here and your life is perfect, that it's like you've reached the goal, everything's fine, you'll never struggle again, that just, you know, you, you had this big transitional moment in your life, and now it's just expected that you're never going to mess up again, which is so false. Even Paul is writing in Philippians to encourage believers that the work is never finished, that growing people continue to change, that that's the process, is we might have made that huge transition from wrath to salvation, but maybe there's some sort of sin that God wants us to move to victory in now. Maybe the story just keeps going on. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 is an encouragement to all of us in this room today who are moving to the other side. He says this in reflecting on his journey as a follower of Jesus. He says, not that I have already attained all this or arrived or already arrived at my goal. He says, even now, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, I haven't arrived. I haven't achieved my goal. The work is never over, but I got to continue to strive and grow to be the person that God wants me to be. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take and have hold of it. But one thing I do, and this is such incredible advice for all of us. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, the thing is, If you've experienced salvation in Christ, if you were dead in your sins and trespasses and God saved you and now you are alive in him, 
the work is still not over. God now has sent you on mission to go tell the world about his son, and there will be things that you need to continue to work on and improve on. And he's saying, don't stare at all your brokenness from behind. You just keep looking forward and gaze your eyes upon Jesus because that's how you're going to continue to grow in me. That's how you keep making it over those little hurdles that we face in life by Jesus' and Jesus' grace alone. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And I put here, don't let your past define you. Focus on where God wants to take you. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you are a doubter. God wants to make you a disciple. Maybe you're here today and Like I said, you're struggling with addiction. God wants to take you to sobriety. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and he wants to take you from death to life. But you can be dang sure that no matter where you're at now, that doesn't define you if you're willing to allow Jesus to change you because he wants to move you to the other side. Now what I love about this, you guys, I told you I was going to kind of give a challenge that would bring it focused into Easter. Now, Easter is like the Super Bowl of services for churches, you know what I mean? It's big time, and we, get, we, 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 we don't take it lightly. We know that we're going to have people there who will never go to church other times, and we just believe and trust that maybe God, through his Holy Spirit, would they'd hear the gospel, they'd have a good experience, that Jesus would do a work in their life, and so we get excited and pumped about Easter. And what I love about this in, in, in response to Paul is after Paul encountered Jesus, His only response was to live the rest of his life sharing the incredible grace and truth that he experienced with others. So I implore you guys on behalf of Jesus and his mission is that as we look at big events as a church, as we look at ministry as a local church, don't just look at it as a pastor on stage getting up and preaching cool messages, but look at it as an all-in, I'm-all-in team approach that if your life has been changed by the gospel, that we all have a part to play to go and preach the good news to others. You have influence with people in your life that I'll never have influence in. There's people in your life that God has around you that you can speak the truth to, that you can live out the gospel that they will see, that they will never see or hear from a pastor on stage. God is calling you to carry on and be a missionary just like he calls all of us who experience Jesus. And so Easter, you guys, Easter. We're going to share the gospel. And we're going to trust that people are going to move to the other side from death to life. They're going to experience the resurrected gospel. Resurrected Jesus, I mean. But here's the thing is we need all of you. We need all of us. We need to be a team effort, the whole body to come together. Because I believe when the whole body goes all in together, God takes that effort and he multiplies it and does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So what we're going to do today is in just a second, the worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing a song. And this isn't going to be like a crazy emotional altar call type song. It's going to be a celebration of the gospel. So we're going to sing the song, This is Amazing Grace. And we're going to move a couple doors, two doors to these front center aisles. And what I'm going to ask you to do today is to prepare ourselves for the coming of Easter. And what I want you to do is during the song, you can slip out at some point, we're going to have a bunch of Sharpies, is we want you to come up and I want you to write a first name of somebody that you're committed to praying for for the next couple of weeks as we lead up to Easter. 
And more than that, of just praying for them, we also want you to take that person's name that you read on the door and be bold in the next few weeks and invite them to come join us on Easter Sunday because you just never know. That might be that hello from the other side kind of a moment. But we realize that if we want to see God do something incredible, it's going to take all of us, not just one of us on stage, all of us believing. So like I said, in just a second, I'm going to pray, and we're going to have some Sharpies up front. And if you would, if you just, all of us, if you want to, just come forward in the song, grab a Sharpie, and write someone's first name on there that you are committed to praying for for the next few weeks, and that you're going to ultimately invite to Easter, and just be praying that God would do a work in their life. So let's pray, and, then I, and, and after I'm done praying, you guys can stand up, and this will be your chance to just move in the song. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. For this time, God, thank you for transformation stories like Saul to Paul. Any of us who've experienced Jesus, we have an other side story where we were lost in our sin, but we encountered the risen king and we became someone completely different in you. Lord, that work that we've experienced, God, give us the boldness and the passion and the power to go out and to share him with others. So I pray right now as we're praying that you would impress upon the minds and hearts of those in here today of somebody in their life that they would just begin to pray for and then have the boldness to invite to come join us on Easter. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son that makes these transitions and these growths in our lives possible. But God, help us to live in response to that moment that you wrecked our lives. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand up while we close out the song and invite you to come forward and put a name of somebody you'll be praying for.